0: We could not believe
1: it. He had glue me. on the back of his pinfoil, <laughs> didn't he? He brought them all away from Thailand. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Alan, and I'm here with the ever-energetic
0: Adam. (laughs) Now I've got to be high energy for the entire podcast.
1: I would appreciate nothing less than an almost uncomfortable level of energy.
0: I want you to be effervescent, gyrating in your chair throughout. I've just had a green tea that I brewed for probably too long, in fairness. It was very tannic, and I've now got a very dry mouth. Unusually high in caffeine, green tea. People will often
1: select it off the herbal shelf as a as a beverage of reduced caffeination, not realizing the actual fact. It's got an almost psychedelic amount
0: of caffeine in it. <laughs> Marketing genius, isn't it? Green tea. People yeah. just buy it because it's got the word "green" in it. They think it can do something good for nature. You think it's like eco, <laughs> yeah, eco tea, definitely, yeah, yeah. It was actually a black tea. Yeah, there was just
1: organically farmed exactly made in China amazing so I don't know if the listeners can already tell just by vibing out but me and Adam are still in the same space just poised like a runner on the blocks of a 400 meter race to shoot off to the next leg of our journey but right now we're here on opposite sides of the microphone staring across at each other I'm I basically might lose consciousness during this podcast for falling headfirst deep into what can only be described as the luxurious brown eyes of the man sitting across from me.
0: Oh, God. Now we're going to have to do an Instagram post for context. Yeah, I think just of your iris. Yeah, it's a good job we took so many photos yesterday because we're fresh from the farm. Yeah,
1: Um, (laughs) we drove down to the farm. Yesterday, although it will be a week or where, a week ago for you guys, and uh, we took a lot of content from the farm, and we're going to post some of that on our Instagram. That's Anthropology Podcast on Instagram, and some of it's going to go on our Patreon for those of you who would like to subscribe to that. That's Anthropology Podcast on Patreon.
0: Just talking about the farm because we mentioned it. Obviously, that's why we were driving up uh, the interior of BC. Yeah. How did your time on the farm um, sort of move you? Did it move you in the ways that you expected? Because it was so valuable, wasn't it, going back? It was
1: beautiful. It was nostalgic. And it filled me with that same sense of awe that I remember feeling when I first arrived there. And it was just great to see the animals again. They didn't remember me to the extent I was hoping. I was expecting it to be a scene from, you know, I have an over disney image in my head of what was going to happen. Yeah. And in, now in hindsight, it was unfeasible for the horses <laughs> all to whinny and gallop towards me and, you know, for the dogs to like put on a, a canine parade for my arrival. What actually happened was they kind of barked a little bit Ran up,
0: dashed off again, went yeah. inside for a biscuit, you know. <laughs> Realised you didn't have any food and then fucked off. Yeah. But that is the nature of the um, the animal, isn't it? That, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I've been to the farm numerous times since leaving right. without you being there. Mm. So for me, it was really nice to be back there with you. Yeah. I think we could have just sunk straight back into it, couldn't we? I went and collected some eggs for the owners of the farm and I
1: immediately was just transported. I was like, oh, this is life again now. Yeah. The muscle memory of collecting eggs and just lifting
0: up a chicken to reveal its clutch beneath it. Yeah. Like, it was just like old times, wasn't it? It's difficult to describe how protective they are over their eggs as well because it's, you know, if you imagine a nesting box like a little shelving unit. Yeah. And A chicken inside, a mother hen who's sitting on two, three, sometimes six eggs. She was on six, one of them, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you put your hand in there, she's having none of it. I don't know if they're
1: so protective of the concept of the egg or if they're just perturbed by being shifted when they're in that just incubatory mindset. I don't know the inner workings of a chicken's brain.
0: Yeah, it was difficult as well for... For me, I remember trying to be as, as sort of accurate, as precise and as quick as possible, reaching both hands. That was the technique that was shown to me, both right. hands, big thick gloves on, both hands into the nesting box because there's that little flap that they have over the top, isn't there, to keep it dark in there to help them with their uh, laying and stuff. The and circadian rhythm. Yeah, <laughs> and then trying, trying to grab them out because it's, I don't know, it's just a chicken, but it's weird picking up a chicken. It's quite strange picking up a bird of that size that can peck you and... Scratch you. Even I don't know. It's the pecs are
1: like being tickled by a, you know, a, a pebble <laughs> in that it's hard, but soft. Yeah. That didn't make any sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's also the, the motion of it doing it is what sort of scares me. Its head is sort of back, yeah, it's backwards not, and forwards and it's like a stab, isn't it? Yeah, it's not
1: in any way painful, but I just think there's an innate desire to be repelled by, like, an aggressive motion from an animal. And overreact. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Drop all the eggs. Oh, get away from me. Oh, look what you've done. Oh, God. So the difficulty is if you do overreact to the um, the pecking of a furious hen, you might drop an egg. Mm. And if you drop an egg, all hell chick- chickens come from all around to peck at the
0: the, the ones immaculate husk, don't mm, they? Yeah, yeah. Pecking at the yolk. It's so strange. It's awful to see, actually, because it's a weird form of cannibalism. There's something dark about it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And they, they love it. And then they've got a taste for it. And then, of course, then they'll just do it to their own so, eggs. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah. They I think so. They peck t- the eggs as it's coming out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen a chicken peck an egg on its way out? <laughs> <laughs> good Lord. I know, but it was a special moment for you and for us. Animals. I loved it, man. It was so good to see those animals again and see the owners again and sort of it capped off my experience of, of Canada really nicely and in a way that's easy to narrativise, you know?
0: It's full circle experience. And it's really picturesque, isn't it? We spoke about that Animals aside, owners aside, farm experiences aside, just standing on the farm and looking at the view, because it's halfway up a mountain, whatever your view of of sort of BC and the wilderness and Canada, how it's portrayed in England on documentaries, that's exactly how it looks. Yeah, it's beautiful. (laughs) There are mountains, there are lakes, there are forests, there are snow everywhere, you know. It is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Yeah, and I think that's comprised of the
1: landscape, but also the... The, just the vibe, man. Like the the animals,
0: the owners. I think the the people and the and the creatures make it very very special. Yeah, and you remember the how intense the experience was. There, all the memories that came flooding back. It was like so much happened in such a short space of time for us. It was just all action all the time. It really did, and I think that is true of
1: travel in general. Now coming to the tail end. Of my time in Canada, it's made me very aware of when you're when you're stopped in a routine like I was working in Alberta, time feels exponentially I think time feels exponentially faster because you're doing less with your day in terms of variety. Yeah. Whereas if you look back on that time we spent on the farm, because there's so many stories within a short space of time, you could believe that we were there for months. Yeah. Whereas a year doing the same thing, working nine to five, can pass by in an instant once you have distance from it and can look at it retrospectively.
0: Yeah, because there's far less variation.
1: Absolutely, yeah. With that in mind, I think last week we said we were going to talk about some travel stories Yeah. because- That's what we're about on this podcast. We're about recollecting, looking back on our travels, and then looking forward on the travels we'll subsequently do. We're both about to go on some adventures, and no doubt, coming weeks of the podcast will be filled with stories of things that are happening to us right now. You're going to Japan very soon. Mm -hmm. There'll be stories from Japan. So let's take this brief opportunity, while we're in the same place, to look back on some stories that we've accrued whilst travelling around the world. We've talked a lot about why people should travel. So let's give them some data to work with, some stories that kind of make us think, god, this is what travel is all about, you know? This is this is why you should get on the road because you get tales like this in your
0: arsenal of life experience. Yeah, there's no way in your sort of daily routine they're just so out of out of anything else you could kind of, I don't know, create. Yeah. Just, it mean, could only happen if you're travelling around to these places on the road. And it's it's definitely worth listening to and worth. Uh, we hope that it inspires people to travel.
1: Totally. Okay, so let's go. Travel stories. Am I
0: to go first? You're going to go first if okay. you don't
1: mind. Well, I was thinking about two different stories that I think for me sum up opposite sides of the coin of travel that I could kind of serve up to you. Yeah. And I think I'll let you choose which one you'd prefer to hear about.
0: Brilliant, because um, I haven't heard either of them, by the way.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, they're not beautifully crafted narrative tales in any way. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I will be kind of describing them off the top of my head. But I think... They represent kind of polar opposite experience. So one of them is very early on in my travels. And that's the time I went to a meditation retreat in Southeast Asia. You got your meditation retreat badge? Within the first kind of three to four months of me ever setting off. And then much later in the final year of my kind of long four-year excursion, I uh, went to live in the Bolivian Amazon with what can only be described as a plethora of beautiful and exciting animals rehabilitating them to the wild. And there's a particular story from that Amazon that I would like to tell. So we've got Meditation
0: Retreat in Asia, Bolivian Amazon. Okay. And we're going to hear both in this podcast.
1: We're going to hear one in this podcast, maybe another, another time. I think we'll let the listeners kind of ask and they shall receive with regards to the one that you leave out. Okay. Well, in that case, then, let's
0: hear the meditation story.
1: Meditation story. Let's cast our minds back into the year of 2015, and a young, tumultuous kid from Manchester had just set off to Southeast Asia with a backpack, starting out on what would become a very long and obsessional relationship with travel i just spent a month in China and moved through Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos, and I was sort of getting to grips with the idea of this could be something that I'd do for a a long time. And I sort of began to understand the mechanisms that might let that be a reality. I'd learned a little bit about work away. I'd learned a little bit about working holiday visas. So I mm-hmm. sort of had an idea, this is going to be a more long-term thing. And I made my way to Thailand. And I had a passing interest in in meditation before this, because when I was ever so stressed doing my university degree, I would occasionally walk home past a Buddhist temple. Right. And uh, I'd occasionally dash in and sit down quietly for an hour just to detox. Oh, So A little bit of experience meditation, but I knew actually going traveling, maybe this is something that I would like to consider. Mm -hmm. And when I was in Thailand, it just seemed like an appropriate time. I was kind of all gunked up with so many new experiences that I hadn't had much time to process it yet. And I thought maybe it's going to be a good thing just to sit down and take stock for a couple of weeks. So I did a little Google and found this place online. It's called... Mm -hmm. Suan Mok, and it's in the very south of Thailand. Right. And there wasn't a whole bunch of information online back then, but basically it was a a monastery. Yeah. You could go. It was a 10-day meditation retreat with a day on either side, so close to two weeks, 12 days. Sure. And I made my way on a sleeper train to this kind of fairly remote southern little town from which I would get a bus to go to the meditation retreat. Not so much happened on the train ride, so that's very much a jump cut in the story. Imagine me (laughs) sitting on the little sleeper train, backpack under my head, um, and then I'm there. I'm at the meditation retreat. It was a very beautiful, picturesque little monastery. And the idea, I suppose, is that you're silent for the whole time. Right, so it's a specific sort of meditation. Silent meditation. And the idea behind that basically is just talking is a distraction of the mind. Yeah. But also reading, writing, consuming anything, that's also counterproductive to these monks versus meditating holistically. So it's kind of a pay what you want system. Wow. You okay. just go, sign some forms. Yeah. And, and silence. Yeah, in silence, right? <laughs> So, and and then you're just going to submit to the process of the meditation retreat. And I rock up, do all that. And then when the gong sounds on the first day, the silence ensues.
0: Wow. You're with other people
1: in the same class or? I rocked up to the meditation retreat with a couple of people I'd met kind of on the bus down there. Yeah. Um you all sort of go together, but very much it's just like maybe 50 people have turned up. There's a meditation retreat starts on the first day of the month kind of right. thing. Right, yeah, yeah. And then it, it just begins and it's, you know, 10 days. So bell rings and you go into your dorm room for the first time in silence. Meditation retreat kind of starts the next morning. In your little dorm room, it's just a concrete slab with a little reed mat on the concrete yeah. and a wooden pillow. Wow. You just lay down on that. That's your bed for the night. Jesus. Rock hard. Just concrete. I mean, <laughs> as hard as something can get. And <laughs> yeah. the pillow is as soft as a piece of wood. <laughs> yeah. So I lay on that. I think, geez, what time, is, what time do we get up tomorrow? <laughs> Bell rings four in the morning. Wow. You get up at four in the morning, head out. Into this monastery, there's like Bodhi trees and like all these mats laid out in the sand. You sit cross legged on one of those mats, and the monk will like read a a little prayer in the morning. And then you sit there meditating for hours, just hours of meditation.
0: Is there any teaching?
1: Sometimes – so there's actually a schedule that's broken down into little steps. So there's, like, hours of meditating in the morning, and then you would get up, do, like, a little bit of walking meditation, walking and meditating. Sure. Then you would have, like, a bowl of rice, two meals a day. Then you would do an assigned chore that had been given to you at the start of the retreat. Mine was to wipe the floors down after lunch. Right. Some people's were to, like, do the washing up. Some people's were to, like, rake the sand so that we had a nice place to sit and meditate. Mm-hmm. So I'd mop the floors each day. Then more meditation. Then a little bit of uh, Tai Chi or something like that. And then more meditation. All in all, you'd meditate for about 12 hours a day. Yeah. Complete silence. That's incredible. So there was no consumption of any of anything, right? Just the meditating. I can't stress that enough. (laughs) Um, The food was great, but it was just a bowl of rice twice a day. Wow. You would end up craving the little hour Tai Chi session so much just for some sort of external stimulus
0: by way of, like, someone telling you what movements to make, you know? I know. It's incredible because on paper, lots of people would think that they could do this. For for one or two days. Yeah. I mean, I thought it would be no...
1: Trouble, and I guess the reason I'm kind of skating over the details of exactly what the schedule was and exactly what we do is because the real interesting, like, bit about this story and about this meditation retreat kind of occurs five days in. Wow! When people start to crack under the weight of not having spoken for five days.
0: Yeah, so psychologically, it's very testing. People just started dropping off. Wow! Like leaving the retreat, right? Oh, and breaking and, yeah.
1: Just saying, sack this off. Like, I've not spoken in five days. Five days is hard because it's been five days and you realise, oh, my God,
0: I'm just halfway. Holy hell. Yeah, so you're thinking about that sort of thing. You're not – it's hard to be completely present. I, I can't even comprehend really what it must be like to be there because you're in your own head. You're trying to do it for the right reasons and to stay focused and you know that it's going to benefit you in the long run. But the reality is that you're not talking to anyone. Not talking to anyone. And meditation
1: is difficult, right? So for people that don't know, the basic concept of this type of meditation, which was vipassana, is that you focus on the autonomous process of breathing. And as a result of that, you'll clear your mind. So if you have a thought that's not related just to your breath, you acknowledge that the thought's there, mm-hmm. l- disregard it, allow it to pass, and then bring your attention back to the breath. You're supposed to do that for multiple hours every day, right? But of course, for someone who's just meditating really
0: seriously for the first time, your brain goes on all sorts of adventures. Yeah, this is a ridiculous comparison, but I don't even watch films because they're long. (laughs) Because I see that as a commitment. And they're entertaining, and they're only an hour and a half long. And they're designed (laughs) by like Hollywood to be as entertaining as possible, right? (laughs) I can't even watch one of those without looking at my phone or... Yeah. It's scary. It's really scary. Yeah, well, you know, in society today, our attention spans are just absolutely nuked. Mm,
1: probably the shortest they've ever been. Right, yeah. So the idea of being sat there and all you've got are your own thoughts, Yeah. but you ain't allowed to even have them, right? You're supposed to be just focusing on the breath. So, I mean, of course, your brain does flips and is desperately like, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And you go on all sorts of adventures in there whilst you're sat down kind of trying not to think. I had memories from childhood that I didn't know that I had. Right. But I'm I'm convinced they're true memories. But, like, I only delved into them because my
0: brain's searching for something to give me attention. Yeah. You know? So things that had been buried a long time ago were starting to come to the fore. And-
1: yeah, that I've just not used my brain as much as I had then, you know, because normally I'd watch YouTube or listen to a podcast. There'd or be something. distractions, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it was just absolute
0: unadulterated exposition of the mind. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I was going to ask actually was, When you were with the other people there, did you feel like you were having a shared experience with them and connecting with them even though you weren't talking to them? This is my favourite part of the story, I think. So every morning when you'd wake up at 4am, Jesus. Because you've had a shit
1: night's sleep on the concrete bed. Well, that's another thing, actually. you had the best night's sleep of my life on that concrete bed after the first couple of nights. You get used to it so fast because you're so institutionalised in that you get up, you sit down for hours, and then you just like, the bell rings. You're so done with thinking that you just lose consciousness immediately.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, just I remember you saying when you came here, actually, so Alan's currently staying with me and he complained that my bed's too soft. Now, yeah. I, know, now I know why. I like a firm bed. You like a concrete block. So the other people, you would wake up in the morning and you would like
1: rinse yourself with a bucket of water and brush your teeth surrounded by these people mm-hmm. who you weren't allowed to speak to. But in silence, you form these such intriguing connections there was a guy who every morning for whatever reason just so happened our routine must have been the same that I would get up and I'd brush my teeth and he would always be there brushing his teeth next to me yeah never said a word to each other but for nearly two weeks we'd like look at each other make eye contact in the morning brush our teeth pour a bucket of cold water over ourselves you know um and when the bell rang to signal the end of the retreat after the 10 days, yeah. he ran up to me and gave me a big hug. He was like,
0: hey, he was German, actually. I never expected it looking at him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's the thing. You don't know anything about this guy. Yeah, exactly. Apart from the way he brushes his teeth. Exactly.
1: But he gave me a big hug and it was like we were like close friends. Yeah. And that happened with a couple of people. The guy that sat next to me every day for like 12 hours on the meditation mat like, he runs up to me after the bell. He's like, oh, mate, like, how's it going? Like, what's your name? They're like, who are you? Who is this person that has has
0: been so instrumental to my experience
1: the, the last 10 days, you know?
0: It was incredible. The emotions that must have been running through. So you got through. That's the, the crux of it, is that you got through to the end. Yes, I did. Shit. I did. There's uh, There's so many little stories
1: to tell that kind of branch off from the tree of the central meditation retreat story. Yeah, I mean one of the salient points is is that so close bonds were formed in that silence that by the end of it everyone was just everyone just loved each other. Yeah. Those who made it through. Because as the retreat went on, people really cracked. Like I saw one girl on day like six with a coconut in her hands just trying to crack it on a rock just repetitively during the hour that you can kind of walking meditate around the site. Oh dear. She was like just cracking that coconut, just like she'd gone mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I went a little bit mad as well. Like you have an hour every day just to, to do this walking meditation. You could walk anywhere on the monastery site. And I had this, I found this little tree kind of early on. And there was a little colony of ants that lived on like beneath the root of the tree. Right. Every day I would look forward so much to that hour. I would like practically run, trying to make it look like I'm meditating whilst I'm running over <laughs> to that tree. I would sit at the base of the tree in like a meditative pose
0: and I'd just be watching the ants like desperate. That was like my only entertainment. For yeah, that's the, your for form That's your form of entertainment. It's almost like a Sims computer game or something like that. You're seeing what else has happened in their universe. I would just watch that colony of ants. I'd be like, oh my God, they've got a grasshopper.
1: They're like carrying a grasshopper. I'd be like, wow. Do you know you can hear ants if it's quiet enough? Well, you know that from first-hand experience. Yeah, like you, I pick up one of the ants and you put it close to your ear and it's quiet enough. You can hear the very high pitched squeak of
0: an ant. Wow. Not many people know that, but absolutely. I suppose even that, it's not really the focal point of the story, but you would have been out, I guess, somewhere fairly remote and isolated Yeah, and maybe experienced complete silence.
1: Yeah, because everyone's quiet, right? Yeah, Yeah, the the pong of that gong telling you to wake up in the morning cuts through the air like nothing else. And there's no noise pollution whatsoever. Yeah, you're out in rural South Thailand. It's pretty crazy. I would really recommend it as like a challenging experience for anyone who's kind of traveling because it's juxtaposed with the rest of Southeast Asia as well, right? Yeah. A lot of people go to Southeast Asia to party in in Thailand, Goodness there's like Bangkok there's full moon parties there's like very competitive ping pong matches but um <laughs> <laughs> but if you travel far enough south yeah you you're in this completely remote area where i was lucky enough to experience complete silence for
0: for 10 days yeah so correct me if i'm wrong you're still on the mainland yes And slightly north of the Malaysian border.
1: Yeah, basically,
0: yeah. Maybe a
1: couple of hours north of the Malaysian border. I'd have to double check. It's Suan Mok was the name of the monastery that I went to. And I'm comfortable mentioning that because I think people should go. There's a website now. You can go on uh, Suan Mok's website. And um, I think now maybe there's a nominal
0: fee, but you you can absolutely go and meditate there at the start of every month. Yeah. So having had that experience, what would you say to people? How should they prepare? How should they approach something like that? Because I'm i a little bit hesitant. I mean, I've always wanted to do something like that myself. But in a strange kind of protective way, I feel like lots of Southeast Asia and probably other parts of the world have been glamorized. And now there are lots of people going to these places because it's, um, it's sort of the the new Spanish coast or something. Right. So, you know, oh, let's all go to Thailand. Let's go to a full moon party. Let's go to a meditation retreat. And you don't want people to go there for the wrong reasons, I guess. Yeah. I think only go
1: if you have a genuine curiosity and interest about what that would be like. And yeah. also only go if you're convinced that you will like make it through to the other side, because I think a lot of people, died an ego death on day four and then tried to protect themselves by like getting through it other ways a few times during the retreat I had someone come up to me and try to talk to me oh wow and like, try and subvert the retreat in some way be like yeah you know how are you going like another backpacker though not a monk no another traveler who was at the meditation retreat yeah. and I just think we would ignore them stay stoic and just because I was in it for the experience I wanted to go the full. Time without talking. Yeah. But yeah, if your aim is to subvert and kind of get through it as a challenge, what's the point, right? Yeah. It is a challenge, but
0: you should have an open mind and sort of purely experience it. That's incredible. Would you, I'm sure this is what the listener wants to know, would you do it again? It's an interesting question, really, because on the one hand, I
1: found the experience incredibly valuable. And I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it to anyone else with an interest in the esoteric, the spiritual, the religious, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think it was like a, a maximally challenging way to do that. It was probably a little bit extreme for what I was ready for at the time. Like it was a very long drawn out meditation retreat. You can do even longer ones. I mean, you could lock yourself in a cave for six months, right, and meditate. But for me and what I was ready for at the time, that that felt extreme. And there was an egotistical challenge, get through aspect, a little bit, right? Like I wanted to have been on a silent meditation retreat. And you didn't want it to beat you. Exactly. So full disclosure, there were some days – where I just didn't feel like I had the energy to even meditate properly. So I just sat in silence and let my mind go crazy. Yeah. Right? So I think I would want a bit more meditation experience before embarking on something like that. Because I bet there's some people there who literally switch their minds off for 24 hours a day and
0: just had a beautiful experience. Yeah, they go for sort of meditation and tranquility to maybe disconnect from the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely.
1: But going back to the relationships that were cultivated in that silence, there are a few people who, after that meditation retreat ended, like I just teamed up with them and we went traveling together down the rest of kind of Southeast Asia. Oh, brilliant. Because, yeah, we just felt close after that retreat, right? Just people who sat near me. We just like had a little chat after the the gong sounded and it was over.
0: Yeah, no, I can totally relate to that. The things that you experience with other people when you're traveling, those... Moments and experiences are so profound. It's like you've been through something together. Yeah. And it's hard to get that across. And, you know, there are people listening to this podcast who will know instantly what I mean. But you might only know someone for a couple of days and you've, I don't know, just to go right to the top, you might have almost died together. Yeah, sure. That shit happens. Yeah. No, definitely.
1: Frequently when traveling. That's the (laughs) wrong message. Everyone stay safe. But there's always always wild experiences, right? Yeah. That... Kind of people are um, bonded by intense experiences, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I love that place a lot. Suan Mok in Thailand. What a wonderful thing to experience. And it just uh, yeah, propelled me with a newfound respect for for that sort of thing as I continued traveling. And I kept up a meditation practice for many years after that. I should do more now, really. But I think it's of value. Particularly, I will say this. Anyone struggling with mental health, meditation is a really great thing just to have in your pocket as a tool mm. that can come anywhere in the world with you, um, just to decompress. We're living in such a crazy technological, rapid moving,
0: overstimulating.
1: Yeah, so just to have a real good fundamental understanding of what meditation is, so that if you're in a hostel traveling around somewhere you can sit on your bed for five minutes and just really have a good meditate it's a skill that's worth picking up and picking up properly and you know there was good tuition in that place that i meditated they did give you some guidance on how to meditate
0: yeah so that's what you took away from it as well it was the the techniques the methods used and absolutely maybe reached a a very deep place
1: yeah, I mean, you don't have to go to... I'm, I'm not saying that you have to go there to develop that. Obviously, there's going to be great places on YouTube and, and things that you can learn. Meditation is equally as effective for you. Um, but I do value it as a tool. And... Um, is right in line with my personality that's something which I value as a tool I tried to do it in the most extreme way but <laughs> um, yeah no great experience that was the story of the meditation retreat
0: yeah well I'm certainly feeling inspired now I want to go away and do it I wouldn't fancy my chances but if you've done it we should uh, meditate now for five minutes and then come back to the podcast well rested so <laughs> we have
1: our first time in Tropology history we're going to take a break for a five minute meditate we'll be back in five see you then Oh, what's this? A voice coming at you from within the confines of your own mind, interrupting your meditation practice. It is I, your conscience, and I'm here to share with you just a couple of ways that you can support this podcast that you're listening to. Why not head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this and give this episode a five star review. Follow the podcast on all social media, at Tripology Podcast. And send Alan Adam an email at tripologypodcast at gmail.com. And once you've done that, return to your meditation practice. How do you feel?
0: I feel great. I feel like a sense of relief,
1: release, We, Later. Should, we should do a five-minute meditation break every podcast
0: <laughs> just dead silence for five minutes yeah or well, we can cut it out in post me trying to subvert you <laughs> go on how are you doing <laughs> talk to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well that you've got a travel story for us yeah yeah i've got one it's um it's a funny one really it's not something i've ever thought i would do and it's certainly not something i would do back in the uk Right. um Not to, you know, you'll see the sort of story it is and you'll work out why I've said that. But it was when I was living in Alice Springs. I was on a camel farm just for a few weeks. and Alice Springs in Australia? Yeah, Alice Springs. I think it's in the red centre, isn't it? Yeah, sounds right. They call it, yeah, the outback. There's not much there. It's pretty barren. Gotcha. And we weren't even in Alice Springs. I was on a camel farm, which was about 17, 18 kilometers outside of Alice Springs, near a range of mountains. And it was a lovely, lovely family, just going back to Workaway or Helpex, you know, these types of platforms, com- communities where you can exchange your hours work. So four five hours a day, typically for board and um, you know, food and accommodation. And even though that arrangement was fantastic, I wasn't earning any money. Right. And I hadn't earned any money for a while. You weren't cost neutral. No. You were bleeding finances. Yeah. So if we wanted to go and do anything, um, you know, go to shops and other other bits and bobs outside of the arrangement, it was costing money. And I'd also just booked a flight home for my sister's wedding from Darwin. Which is far north. It's almost directly north of Alice Springs. But it's uh, in the Northern Territories. So I don't know if the listener's probably not got a map in front of them of Australia, but it's still far. It's bloody far away, as the Aussies would say. (laughs) And uh, it's not bloody close, mate. (laughs) That was good, wasn't it? That was great. Yeah. Pretty good. I thought Um, someone else was on the podcast for a moment. (laughs) You could tell I've been to Australia. (laughs) So uh, I spoke to the lady I was living with, and she said, Look, if you want to earn some money, the local fair's coming into town. Why don't you go down there while they're setting up? It's going to be this weekend, but I'm sure there's going to be lots of people knocking around, setting up their market stalls and other things. Why don't you go and see if you can earn some money for the weekend? I thought that's a fantastic idea. This is the plot of popular 21st
1: century movie,
0: Big Fish. (laughs) (laughs) Was that released before I was in Australia?
1: Because I have told this
0: story to a lot of people. Maybe I should be charging royalties. Yeah, maybe. Um, But... Yeah, so I thought I thought that's that's great. I'm going to go down there. I wasn't really sure what to expect, but went into this um, like fairground sort of site, if you know what I mean. And everyone's there setting up different rides, and you know, a, just a typical fairground. Yeah, there's the dodgems, there's a Ferris wheel, there's lots of other bits and. What is a Ferris wheel? Who is Ferris? I've no, <laughs> no idea, but I've never been on one that's overwhelming.
1: I've never heard of anything else that Ferris has invented. I think Ferris committed to the one invention. He was like, that's as good as I'm going to get. Well, why wouldn't you? Is the wheel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was proud of it. He was happy with it. Yeah, it's the architectural equivalent of, like, the Burj al-Arab or something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You'd just check out, wouldn't you? it's gone on to great heights, the Ferris
1: wheel, of course, appropriated by uh, the country of England when they built the London Eye.
0: Yeah. Which is essentially a glorified Ferris wheel. Totally. Yeah. So, way back when, I don't know when they were invented, but... uh, it was a rickety old thing as well. I didn't ride it by the way. I mean, I'm not I'm not that kind of I'm one of those when it comes to roller coasters and other other stuff. I mean the Ferris wheel that, evokes a feeling of trepidation and This one did because really? it was just yeah, it was rickety. Like, yeah, wooden steel and kind of baskets and stuff and <laughs> Yeah. I just thought if I get on that and anything happens, the signs were there. Yeah, so <laughs> only yourself to blame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I went in anyway and I was sort of, I didn't really know what to do. I was just going to talk to any person that spoke to me and ask if they needed a hand. Yeah. The first food truck I walked past, this woman stuck her head out the food truck and said, you're looking for work? And I was like, (laughs) that's handy. Um, Yeah, I am, actually. I remember she had massive hands. What a dream scenario. I know, it was brilliant. She had big hands? She had really big hands. She looked like she'd had a hard life. She's a hard worker.
1: Was she wearing gloves? No. First thing I'd do if I had big hands. Put gloves on? Pop a pair of gloves on them. And she was working in a food truck. Because then you could claim, you you could go about your day making use of your digits, but if someone ever... Opted to tease you, you'd say that's just my gloves. I got big gloves on. I've actually got entirely (laughs) average hands.
0: Uh, I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast because I we used to make jokes about her fingers being as big as the Dagwood dogs. (laughs) And a a Dagwood dog is, I think, the Australian equivalent of like a corn dog. Okay, a Dagwood. A Dag or like a hot dog or something.
1: Well, we've got some good tips for any of our big-handed listeners out
0: there. Probably can't download the podcast. (laughs) Fingers are too big. <laughs> Just stick your finger between two buns. No one will notice. Or a pair of gloves. That's it. A pair big. of mittens. <laughs> big ketchup. I myself quite
1: large on the um, on the manual department. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <sighs> so anyway, turns out this woman uh, is one of the family. I think typically, don't quote me on it, but typically the way it works is that a couple of families own the vast majority of the rides. So they travel around for months on end through the summer, going to lots of different towns and they will set up shop. Then it's the fair. Then they take everything down and they move to the next place. Gotcha. But there's usually a couple of families and she was like the matriarch of one of the most important families for this fair. So I really went in at the top. Yeah. And she just she was a businesswoman. She had no time for me. She went, if you're looking for work, $15 an hour. You can work this weekend. You'll be on the Dodgems or you'll be on the Clowns or whatever. <laughs> I was like, uh, 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 yeah, that sounds great. Do, you, can I, do I sign something or whatever? She said, no, just be here at 10. There's a cashy. Paid your cash for this? <laughs> Cash in hand. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's I had much smaller hands than her, but yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she could give you a big wad of cash. I bet your paycheck looked tiny in her palms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that all?
0: <laughs> Those notes are small, yeah. but um, yeah, miniature five dollar notes. That's it. Monopoly money. Come on. <laughs> so there, I, I went on the on the weekend, nice and early, before the crowd started coming in. But it was crazy. It was such a great such a great fair. So I was actually on the rifles. Okay. And was, explain the game to me as if I were a pundit. So. I had to set these cans up. There's like um, a platform at the back. You know, you arrive at this sort of desk. I'm behind the desk. And there are five rifles. They're little air rifles with metal pellets and stuff. And uh, you pay for a number of pellets. Right. And then your job as the punter is to shoot down a stack of cans at the back of the shy. Okay. And if you get them all down, you receive a really big prize. And if you get uh, just one or two, you'll get a lesser prize. And if you get none, of course. Unfortunately. Um, you, don't, you don't win anything. Did you have a spiel to try and get people in, attract them into playing the game? Not, No, it wasn't scripted or anything. I just used to sort of wait. Should we do a little or, role play? Like I'll
1: walk past and you try and get me to play the game. And then I'll, you know, let's yeah, go. I'll be a small, I'm a, I'm a small boy. Sure. So, okay. Typically, okay. I would say,
0: step right up, coming up to the... Yeah? <laughs> yeah, you know, like a London okay, market. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Um, We've got the rifles here. Come and chance your arm at the rifles. Hello. Hello there. How's your day? Could I have a go on the rifles? Yes, of course you could. Have you got your ID? Um, I'm fine. <laughs> That's fine. You don't need one because there are no rules. How much is it? It's $5 for 10 pellets. I'll take it. Go for it. There you go. There's your rifle. You just put them in the back there. I put the pellets in myself? Yeah.
1: All right. I've loaded
0: it. What are my chances of winning? As a five-year-old boy? Yeah. The gun's about as big as you. (laughs) Oh, right. What was the average age of the contestant? There were lots of kids there. Yeah. And, I mean, Alice Springs, that's where we were. If you know what Alice Springs are like, you'll know the sort of people that were coming there. Oh, was, was he not there? That five-year-old boy I just played. No, 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 he wasn't. <laughs> but um, groups of young adolescents were constantly asking me for more pellets. Oh, I might give you a couple more <laughs> pellets. You're <were> awful. <laughs> and I would because I wanted to. I wanted them to have a good time. I didn't care. I wasn't getting paid right. any less, or you know, I was just getting fifteen dollars an hour. I'm trying to knock the can off or get a stuffed animal. But so many times, I quickly learned my lesson. Yeah. I was giving these young kids pellets, and they were shooting them at me immediately. I didn't have any protective gear. They were ricocheting them off the hell, off the uh, roof. It was going ping, 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 and I was like ducking for cover. What and was shit. it powered by just an air rifle? Yeah, it was an air rifle, but with metal pellets, so they could knock down metal cans. Because you have killed someone with it? I don't think so. Point blank range. Yeah, you could have blinded someone, not killed. And did you have safety goggles? Nothing. Oh my god! Absolutely zip, zip in the way of protective goggles. No, it was. I don't know, like, I just wanted them to have a good time and that was uh, really my main objective. And then they turned on me and they thought it was funny. They only thought it was funny. It's a horror show, isn't it? Well, I know. But it was they good fun. only thought it was funny. Meanwhile, that little boy. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was actually oh going to try. <laughs> I just wanted... What, what was the prizes?
0: They were just cuddly toys. Yeah? Yeah. And it was oh, it was horrible. Like they're. I wouldn't say they're rigged, the game that I was playing. Mm. So I also looked after... The clowns, so these are, are clowns' heads made out of plastic, oh. and they turn, <laughs> Yeah. right? They're kind of, if you imagine lifting your head back and then having the mouth open, you pop a ping-pong ball in the clown. You get six ping-pong balls. Yeah. You pop the ping-pong ball in the clown's mouth, but the clown's head is rotating, and it's a bit like a pinball machine in that you have to wait for it to rotate. Then you put the ping-pong ball, ping ball in, and that changes where the ball comes out. Right, yeah. So, gotcha. Yeah. So there's an inner work, there's an inner maze. Yeah, and you've got the you've got to if you want the big prize, there mm. are six slots, right? And if you want the big prize, you have to get all the balls in the same slot. Jeez. The reason it's rigged is because not only is that bloody hard, yeah. but each section only fits five balls in. That's out of order. It's really out of order, because they don't want anyone to win the big prizes. What was a big prize? A massive teddy bear. That probably cost a bit of money, mm. and I remember this family from New York. Yeah, this young kept boy on trying. No, they tried once. Oh. But I'd actually seen them earlier in the day. I was—I'm obviously English. Yeah, they're from New York. We're in the middle of fucking nowhere, out in the boonies at this yeah. at this um, fair. Yeah. So we we like hit it off because we're both not from there. Like, right. what the fuck are you doing here? Gotcha, and. Their k- the kid was about 12 years old, something like that. And he actually won. How so did you do it? We could not believe it. Yeah, me, he had glue on it. the back of his ping pong, <laughs> didn't he? He brought them all away from Thailand.
1: 12-year-old kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's a niche joke for some of our listeners who have perhaps had an experience
0: in Thailand. Yeah, Jesus. But, um, don't Google it. No. So... Uh, don't, so You've really thrown me off there. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> he won. He won. So he, he won. Yeah. And the dad and I, we're looking at each other going, this is mental. Like ball number four goes in. And I've seen people lose at this all day long. Like yeah. They don't even get three balls in the same slot, let alone four or five. Yeah. It gets to the fifth one. And I already know that only five balls can fit in the slots. So mm. And this kid, the look on his face, he's looking, Which? what do I win if I get it? And I'm like, you're oh. not going to get it. No one gets it. And he put the thing in. And I almost didn't even look, because I knew he wasn't going to win. Yeah. And he's like, yes, Dad, I've won. And I look down at the, the glass thing, and it's just somehow balanced on top of the fifth ball. <laughs> and it's it's not moving. It, he's won. He's actually won. And he's really? just like, yes, Dad. And his brother's jumping around, they're high-fiving each it's other. It's just
1: perched upon the the uppermost ping-pong ball. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. I've got no idea. I don't know if this kid was a, a sort of genius type. Maybe he was a professional. Who yeah. knows? Um, we should have maybe ID'd him at the door, but it was just, I was so happy for him as well. I was so happy for them as a family and also sort of, you know, the fact that someone had one when it ultimately it was rigged. They were New Yorkers? They were from New York. Well, yeah. let's make it a little tropology challenge to find that
1: boy and get him on the podcast. Track him down. I think if you are or know anyone who is visiting Alice Springs, in what year would this be approximately? 2015. Okay, it's a new item on this podcast. It's called Find That Boy. It might have been 2016. 2015, 2016, we're looking for the boy who won Adam's carnival game and rested that ever-important sixth ball atop the fifth to win a cuddly animal that was deliberately, and in my opinion, immorally designed not to be one i want us to find that boy get him on the podcast and interview him how did his life change that day did it instill in him a perpetual desire for exploration knowing that he was perhaps the luckiest individual ever to walk this planet we're looking <laughs> for the luckiest boy in the world i want you to email your friends were you in Alice Springs in 2015, 2016. Did you go to a carnival? Were you the boy? Let's find that boy. Tripology podcast.
0: <laughs> the story takes a turn. Okay. Oh, dear. Yeah. Is the boy still... Is it possible to find him? Yeah, No. definitely. definitely. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so after they won, someone else who was part of the crew there, yeah. not part of the family, but part of the crew, Saw me handing this enormous bear to this family and having a chat with them and taking photos of them with the bear and stuff. And he reported back to the owner, you know, this woman and mm. her husband that I was working for, that someone had won the big prize. Mm. And then the uncle turned up, and he's calling me over. He's got he's wagging his finger, saying, "You get over here now." Son. One of your employers. Yeah. And he he called me over and he said, "Why are you giving them that bear?" I said, because the kid's just won. He said, no one wins. And I said, no, no, seriously, like they they have just won. And he said, I don't believe you. You, Were the balls still balanced at this point? No, we're taking them down. Oh, no. He said, no one wins. You're giving them that bear. I was like, no, I'm not. They actually won. And then he spoke to them and they actually won. And then they tried to take it out of my wages, the cost of the bear. They tried to dock me three hours wages to pay for the bear. Oh, my God. It's fucked, isn't it? That's messed up. Yeah. Justice. Oh, no, was I was not served. Was Did at, they take the money? No, no. I managed to, to argue with them and stuff. And luckily, there was a couple of us that had agreed to work, and we all kind of stood together and, you know, challenged them on it. Amazing. But it was pretty rough. Um, and then, you know, I actually, because I told them that I had this flight booked to Darwin two months later, they said, well, if you're going from Darwin anyway, we're going from Alice Springs through another couple of cities north, and in a month's time, we've got another show in Darwin. So if you want, you can just travel with us. We've got a tent for you, and you can work the next three or four weekends for us. We'll pay you $15 an hour. You'll do all the rides, and then we'll drop you off in Darwin. Not bad, is it? <laughs> and I was like, uh, so I'm a I'm a carny now, then am I? And again, like we were saying with your story, so much happened with that family and on those trips. I, w- I was like in the middle of a rodeo for three days. That was amazing. I went to Catherine Gorge, which is exceptional. I went to some pretty far out towns in the Northern Territories. I mean, talk about remote. There's not much going on there.
1: It's an absolutely – it's a superpower, a supernatural – superpower of the trip, that time really gets all crammed up inside itself, doesn't it? A Mm. week can feel like a month, a month, a year. Like, think of that. Think of the
0: goings-on. A carny, you. Yeah. What a beautiful time. I know. It was brilliant. I had some incredible experiences, and I met some wonderful people. Now, it's like the only time or place I would have met those people. Did you ever have a go on your own game? Yeah, all the time. Oh, Did shit. You never won. Oh, it was terrible. So you're bearless? I, yeah. I mean... You left the car. I nearly paid for the bear. I would have been taking one home if I'd paid for it, for sure. But <laughs> it was. Uh, it got to the stage as well with the food. I mean... Carny food. Nice people, but diet's a bit questionable. Yeah, go on. Yeah, lots of... Corn dogs. Yeah, fries. Dagwoods. That's it. Pop. Fizzy pop. Oh, yeah. Lots of cola, lots of...
1: Free, though, but... Fuel of the carny. Yeah. If you're a carny listening to this podcast, why not email us at at topologypodcast.gmail.com and explain to Adam what went wrong with that game and whether, in fact, you would stand with him as a refuser to reimburse the the carnival owners (laughs) for the bear. I think we're going to hear from some carnies who... Or all fight the power and think that you did the
0: right thing yeah it's a wicked trip as well because if you've ever driven through the outback or f- through some of those far-flung places in in australia a and even bit. canada like you can be driving for an hour and not see another car oh yeah do you know how unusual that is
1: i remember you telling me that your sat nav once said like turn left in 700 kilometers
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah it <laughs> was go straight for 628 kilometers Jeez. and even then when we got to the to the left turn, it was a T-junction, <laughs> turn right to go to Darwin, turn left to go to Alice Springs. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's called three ways. Amazing. Look at look at it on a map just for some context.
1: I like Australia. I think I will possibly end up back in Australia in the not-too-distant future. So nice. we'll explore that beautiful continent um, relatively soon on the podcast, I
0: imagine. And you by have. soon, I mean in the next year. Yeah, you and your big hands, you'd suit it.
1: Yeah, I think I, um, I mean, I'll be wearing gloves, put it that way, even in, even in the sweltering heat of the outback. What do we reckon? Shall we um, go on a sojourn to the next episode?
0: Yeah, I'd like to do that a lot.
1: We're here in the same space, so we're going to be recording Tripology all the time every time <laughs> we'll be here so see us next week we're going to venture off there now and we'll see you this time next time and um or maybe you're coming back to watch the podcast and you're just binging the episodes in perfect order in which case we'll see you in a couple of seconds but either way we're going to head there now we'll see you there bye oh, I'm
0: feeling all inspired bye